This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and per usual, I am joined by Rachel Sass. Rachel, how are you? Doing pretty good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Can't complain. People keep sending me pictures of of like snow where they are, <laughs> and I keep thinking, I don't need it. I don't need any of it. I'm really yeah. happy for it to be there, not here. Yeah, the the low 60s are cold enough, right? In the morning, right? When, when I have to yeah. defrost my windshield in the morning, I have to go out in my car like five minutes earlier to get the defrost on so I can actually see out of my windshield. That's all I need. That's mm-hmm. all I need. I don't need any more than that. That's the maximum amount of ice you're willing to deal with. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I actually have a friend who lives up in Phoenix, right? So a few degrees hotter than us. And they just bought a second home in Minnesota to be closer to um, her in-laws. And it's absolutely gorgeous. They have like this beautiful little lake house overlooks the lake. It's so pretty, shows the sunrise. But then she's showing the temperature and it's like negative eight degrees, maybe negative 20 with a wind chill. And she's like, yeah, you know what? We're doing okay here. We're doing okay. I'm like, how? How are you surviving? Like you're born and raised Arizona and you, you should be like dying right now in that kind of cold. Yes, should be, should be. Well, I think I told you uh, we had one client who had a, a house in Minnesota, not in the city, sort of out maybe 50 miles or so outside of Minneapolis. And I was talking to this client about the house and like what they do in the wintertime and whether they have to go like secure the house and, you know, like lock it up extra special. And she told me that the answer to the question was no, because nobody can access the house from the highway because nothing is plowed. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, it's insane. It's it's insane. I don't I you know, it's funny because my, my parents, too, they moved up to the mountains a few years ago to officially retire uh-huh. and they wanted to get out of the heat. And I just thought, okay, give them one winter and it'll be over and they'll be back down in Tucson. And they've survived like five winters now. They're, they're still going. This year, that was the first winter where my dad just had shoulder surgery. And so he's not able to shovel the snow. My mom has to shovel the snow. So I'm like, all right, maybe this is the winter where they're finally going to move back down to Tucson because now she has to shovel all the snow. So we'll see. They got about like two feet this last week. So we'll see how she's doing. Or maybe they just don't leave the house. Could be that, too. Could be that. Yeah. I think I told you we went up to the mountains for uh, for Christmas and it dumped on us and I had to shovel snow and shovel the, the driveway of this house that we rented. That was enough shoveling of snow that I think I need for, I don't know, a decade, 15 yeah. years, something like that. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm I sure. got it. I got it all taken care of. I got it. I got it out of my system. Perfectly. Yeah. You don't, you you don't know, need to see more white stuff. You guys yeah. are talking about snow like it's this novel thing while I look out my window at just about a <laughs> foot of it. And my uh, kid's been out of school for going on three weeks now, winter break and then snow days. So um, it's hitting right in the heart today. Yeah, sorry to sorry to twist the knife on you there. Yeah. Well, as everybody can hear now, we're we're joined thankfully by um, Melanie Simons today. Melanie is a CFP and the co-founder and CEO of Reframe Wealth, uh, 
a an RIA in Fairfax, Virginia, beautiful Fairfax, Virginia, notwithstanding the snow jokes. So we're, we're glad you're with us, Melanie. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here, too. I, I lived in D.C. for a time. And actually, the year that I was there or the winter that I was there was was the snowiest winter on record. And of course, as the District of Columbia is, is um, wants to do everything shut down. So we had all these snow days, which I'd never had a snow day in my entire life. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we had all these snow days. Yes, we are in the exact zone, climate zone, where you get snow infrequently, but when you do, it is debilitating. We don't have the infrastructure or the plows, the salt. We don't have anything set up to help us get through it. Um, my husband is um, from Wisconsin, and every single time it snows here, he uses that experience to make sincere fun of Virginian drivers because mm. we can't handle it, and he's not wrong. Yeah. That would be us, too. One day, (laughs) one day it snowed in Tucson. I remember I was in my office on the 14th floor. I'm looking out over the city, and you can see the snow falling. And it was that kind of snow where it just barely starts to stick. You know what I mean? It's not really Mm – it's more just slush, not really sticking. And I I kid you not, I could see from my window out over the city, total mayhem. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just total mayhem. Right, right, right. It It, it is dangerous when you don't know really how to how to act or drive or deal with it but yeah that's true yeah well melanie we uh we didn't bring you on here just to talk about snow although that's fun for us yeah uh so give us at least a a high level view of kind of your firm and its origin story and, and what makes it unique yeah absolutely thanks for asking um Myself and three co-founders started Reframe Wealth as a registered investment advisory firm. Um, We're fully independent and registered with the SEC. And we are a fee-only firm, which means that we don't sell any products. We don't collect any commissions. Our clients pay us a very specific and clear uh, fee to manage their assets and perform all of their financial planning tasks. And um, what makes Reframe Wealth unique is uh, really a couple things. One is the kind of clients we serve. We work with folks who never intended to be wealthy. We have a lot of academics, researchers, uh, professors, um, folks who would consider themselves creatives, but in an academic way, very um, uh cerebral group of folks um, that we serve. And it's a real treat and joy because they love the analysis. And so do we. So um, we also have created what we like to call a safe space where all questions can be answered uh, with clarity. Um, We like to invite folks into our family here at Reframe Wealth, and we're able to serve Um, a smaller group of clients in a much larger way than we had ever been able to previously do in, you know, big Wall Street type firms. So we're a small family feel, but with the capabilities to support very complex financial situations. And it's a really fun place to be, um, both for our planners and for our clients. 
And are you doing asset management or is it more on the planning side or is it a mix of the two? It's both. So our clients hire us to both manage their wealth and to plan around it. So we support financial planning from every angle around retirement, tax planning, income, distribution planning, uh, charitable giving. We do a lot of um, a big focus on socially responsible investing and governance uh, in portfolios. And we also uh, support our clients by managing the assets. Um, we work with a uh, wonderful um, turnkey asset management partner who has a wealth of knowledge around uh, asset management, fund selection, rebalancing, tax loss harvesting, and a number of other things. So uh, we are the place our clients go both to invest and to plan for the future. That sounds a lot like what uh, we work with around here. You know, we kind of the the, the full service shop where your clients can trust you and can go to you for questions. And even if you're not the one who's going to be doing it for them, right, you know where to send them to that they can get taken care of. So that's definitely up our alley, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that is what um, most people are looking for. One of our clients told us recently, you know, the way you're describing your services sounds a lot like the concierge primary care doctor that I work with. Um, and that's a, a big thing uh, for our clients lately is, you know, the need and desire for concierge services as it relates to their health care. And what we do is very easily translated to that type of model in that we are the primary care for finances from in terms of taking diagnostics, doing the planning, but then also implementing the recommended uh, investments um, and transactions. We sometimes do make referrals to specialists, let's say um, a estate planning attorney or a tax attorney, for example, but we are the main shop that folks go to. They pay one fee, they get whatever they need every time and know who they're talking to on the other end of the phone or the Zoom or here in the office. Yeah, absolutely. I think most people with some complexity, they need that. You know, they need that kind of central hub. They need somebody who's on the team who really knits everything together for them, even if that's uh, knitting things together among the various professionals that get involved in their lives. And uh, no, I think that that sounds really good and quite like the things that we uh, we like to see are the kinds of services that we like to see that our clients are getting from their financial planning professionals. Glad to hear it. There's a, you know, maybe unique circumstance right now just because of the timing of things. This is early January. So a lot of people are thinking it's a new year. It's time to actually knuckle down and do some financial planning, or they may be looking at the planning that they've done in the past and, and rekindling old uh, flames with, with doing things <laughs> the right way, even though they maybe haven't been doing it the right way in the past, despite other people's better efforts to advise them to the contrary. So, you know, if you were going to sit down with, say, a, a new client right now of some means or the possibility of some means, what, what would be sort of on your top of the list things like, hey, you need to be considering these things in most circumstances, setting aside the fact that everybody's unique and there may be some little nuance to it. But in, in most circumstances, things that people really ought to be pushing towards the top of their list uh, to work on during the year. Yeah, I love this concept. Um, and 
you know, at the beginning of the year, we tend to be pretty uh, motivated to do a lot of things. Um, I'm personally not one to set a New Year's resolution, um, but I do like to set intentions for my year, um, things that I want to accomplish throughout the year, rather than habits I expect to change in the first week or two of a, of a fresh new year. So as I was thinking about our conversation today, Brent, I put together some thoughts of things that really anybody can do it, be doing um, to prepare for a successful year from a financial perspective. So why don't we walk through some of them? I can give you a sense of how we coach our clients to take advantage of this uh, newfound excitement for organization mm-hmm. and, and buckling down and, and making good intentions. Um, Perfect. And the, the first one, uh, before actually, before I jump in, I'll say that uh, for all of the things that I share uh, with you and that I've shared with clients as it relates to, you know, starting the new year off right, um, you'll hear a theme here, and I'll, I'll ask you and the listeners to, to listen for it. The theme is while you're at it. So I, I'll probably say it throughout this conversation, but the concept is here's something to consider doing or thinking about. And while you're at it, maybe piggyback with another opportunity um, of something to think about or work on. So the first thing um, I'd recommend to anybody listening, regardless of uh, who you are or what means you have, is to pull your credit card spending report and analyze where your money is going. This is something that is not a budget plan. It's not meant to be budgeting. It is not related to your credit score. I'm talking go into your Visa or Amex or MasterCard accounts. Even debit cards will have something like this, and it's called a spending report, Um, and it will show you trends as to where your spending is going uh, throughout the year. This is about the time that you want to do it. You want to see a trend throughout 2021 and where the money went. one of the things that I really would recommend here is not just getting a sense of where the money's going, which can be very eye-opening, by the way, but look for a couple things in particular um, as it relates to the trends in your spending. Look for food and entertain, excuse me, food and entertainment. That's a big spending class that most people underestimate almost every time. And something that I've noticed with our clients this year has been a huge uptick in DoorDash, Uber Eats, any deliveries, Amazon Prime. So to have an awareness of that is all I ask. It's not a, it's not for the point of cutting back or spending less. The concept here is to look at the report for trends so that you can understand, again, where the money's going and have an eye-opening experience. While you're at it, I'd also recommend taking a look at any reoccurring charges, subscription charges, um, anything that's reoccurring either on a monthly or quarterly basis. I, I have a friend who's also a client of Reframe Wealth, and she went through this process last year, and she found a quarterly charge for a gym membership that she had not set foot in for three years. She she didn't even live in that location anymore. But by going through, she was able to find it. And she actually contacted them and asked if they'd be willing to work with her on a bit of a refund, which they did graciously. But that's one of the other reasons we look at this is to try to find lost money, so to speak, but also to understand trends and get a sense of where money's going. So did you pull my spending report before you launched into that? (laughs) That's a lot of Uber Eats, Brad. (laughs) 
I'm a little weirded out by this conversation. <laughs> it's um, I mean, it's it's nice, honestly, to know that everybody is, you know, going to find something like that on their on their, you know, spending model. But it is it's an important thing to do, and this timing is really crucial. You don't want to do that on a month to month basis. You want to see it over at least a year, and then track that going forward as well. My, my my husband and I actually just did that last month um, because we wanted to see how much we were using Grubhub and Uber Eats and DoorDash. And it was horrifying to see how much, <laughs> you know, in our heads, we're like, oh, we probably only use it like once a week. You know, it's like the Friday, Saturday night splurge. No, and it was happening three to four times a week. We're like, this is not okay. And, and yeah. like you're saying, the Amazon Prime one, we just, oh, there's an, another Amazon Prime. There's another Amazon Prime. And it's really good, and and especially the the subscriptions, because I say I I was really guilty of this during the pandemic, where where everyone shifted to online shopping, and when you signed up on a subscription basis for whatever product you're going to buy from you was a skincare product, and if you can get it for a discount if you sign up for like the auto ship oh, right every oh, month, I know the one, yes, and then you completely forget about it, and every month you get it, and you're like, oh, I really need to to cancel this darn thing. <laughs> yes. And six months later, you're still getting this this product every month. And so it's definitely something to do. I think my husband and I said we're going to try and do it every six months now of just looking back at it and trying to keep to our goals that we're initially setting for ourselves. Bravo. Bravo, Rachel. It's that old behavioral psychology thing about opting out. You know, if people have to opt out. Chances mm-hmm. are they won't do it. It's true. And all those companies, they're wise to this. Yeah, they know so us. It's so true. So that's a it's a it's a good um it's a good habit to get into, but again, try it first without any judgment. It's not meant to uh make you feel of any kind of way about your spending, but just to have an awareness of it, which will then give you the opportunity to choose a category and maybe maybe you want to do a bit of a budget. Um my husband and I actually wanted to transition some of where we were spending. We had talked throughout uh, lockdowns over the last several years about traveling more but because we couldn't. And so we chose for this year to actually shift some of our spending from one category, which was eating out, um, to another category, which was travel. So that was only doable by looking at where the money was going. Um, so just having the awareness can be very liberating, actually. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point and probably the broader point, right? It's like this is not a – It's you're not doing it so that you can harshly judge yourself. You're doing it so you get a clear picture and then you can decide, are those actually my, my priorities or is there something – if I'm going to spend that money that I would rather spend it on, that would bring more happiness to my life and I'd yes. be, you know, more pleased about. Yes, you said it. Exactly. Um, one one thing I would add to that is um, it's really helpful for us as financial planners to understand the true spending behaviors. You know, we've had um, many different approaches to gathering uh, our clients' spending in order to build a financial plan. We've done everything from providing a, a sheet of paper and, you know, write down how much your Verizon bill is and how much your car payments are, things like that. By the way, that's a terrible way to capture somebody's spending. Um, we've also done a, you know, rule of thumb analysis. You know, most people spend, you know, 52% of their income on, you know, non-rent slash mortgage expenses. Also not super helpful, but when you can go to a credit card spending um, 
kind of analysis like this, you get such a good taste of exactly how much somebody spends over time because there are some months we spend you know, quite a bit more, usually around the holidays or seasons during travel. Um, So your financial plan will also be far more accurate with this kind of data. Just another perk of pulling this report. And just to say it one more time, while you're at it, you can actually go ahead and pull your credit report as well. Now, this is separate from your credit card spending analysis. Um, But one thing, again, just while you're taking an inventory of where you stand, pulling your credit report for error, reviewing it for errors is a really smart thing to do at the beginning of the year, too. And the the place I recommend going is annualcreditreport.com. It should be free uh, if you haven't already pulled your credit report from annualcreditreport.com. And uh, you'll be able to get a sense of anything that should be reviewed for dispute or removed from your uh, your credit report altogether. So one question I had for you, Melanie. So this year, and just already in the last couple months, I've met with a lot of clients who are younger and who are going to be stepping into wealth. And they never really realized it before. They found out that their parents have a a trust for them set up. They never realized it. And so it's kind of that unintentional wealth that you were describing before with a lot of your clients. What steps do you think that they should start to take in in becoming ready to, to really take on that wealth? I love the question, Rachel, and um, it's a difficult one because everybody inherits wealth um, through different circumstances. Um, your description just now included, uh, you know, having an unexpected trust fund available. And so that trust fund may have very specific um, clauses in it, in, in the documents as to when the child receives you know, the adult child most likely receives their, the, the assets perhaps in, um, at, at different times in their life. So I think getting an understanding of what they're truly inheriting is important. And we recommend always starting with a conversation. So the conversation would initially be amongst the family members. One of the things we know, and you probably know very well as well, is that conversations about money in families can lead to very um, challenging dynamics. And so one of the things that we always suggest to our clients who are having these conversations about inheriting wealth, um, whether it's a, a younger person inheriting wealth or a parent who is setting their younger child or adult child up to inherit wealth, is to bring in a professional. That could be, you know, professionals like yourselves. It could be professionals like a financial planner. It could be a counselor, a therapist. Really having somebody to help mediate that conversation as well as provide some insight as to what we're working with um, can't be a bad idea. That actually brings me to a, another recommendation uh, for you know starting the year off right, which is to grade your professionals. And when I say grade, I mean give them a grade, A through F, like we're in school again. And um, giving a prof- your financial professionals a grade is really helpful, and I'll tell you why in a second. But first, let me explain what I mean by financial professionals. Anybody who you pay for advice, that is an accountant. By the way, that would be yourself if you do TurboTax every year. So think of yourself as the professional in that case. So your accountants, your financial advisors, your banks, your attorneys, anybody who is either providing advice or um, filing for you as it relates to your taxes, let's give them a grade. And I recommend using at least three criteria when you're setting a grade, A through F. 
One is responsiveness. Okay. So identifying where your financial professional is on the responsiveness scale is a good place to start. Then heading to their proactive effort in providing advice. That would be number two. And number three is a cost value calculation in your own mind. So how much is this costing me and what am I getting for it? I'll use uh, an accountant as an example since uh, present company would be excluded from that. If my CPA really is hard to get a hold of at any point during the year, um, I reach out to her. She takes weeks to reply to an email or I have to ping her several times. She may not get an A on the responsiveness. Meanwhile, if her team isn't proactive in setting me up for success um, as it relates to my accounting or tax filing each year, that's also going to inform my grade for her. And finally, if I'm paying what feels like a lot of money for a low value, that will also affect my grade for my accountant. Okay, so let's say I give my accountant in this scenario a C or a D. Meanwhile, I have an estate planning attorney. I uh, get constant communications from my attorney. He reaches out to me on a monthly basis through a newsletter with really helpful information. He happens to have a podcast I listen to that's really supportive of my understanding of of legal um, details associated with my estate. Um, He or a member of his team is always available when I call. And the cost feels right for what I get, what I'm getting, that would be an A. Let me come full circle here and say why we're getting a grade. We're giving our financial professionals a grade because if they fall anywhere below a B, C, a D, an E, an F, it's time to consider interviewing one or two others just to confirm that I'm in the best spot possible. So in this scenario, if my CPA is getting a, a D rating, she's not responsive, she's not available, and she's not proactive, I'm going to interview at least two more CPAs. And this is a perfect time of year do it to do it because CPAs aren't yet in the height of their season. If it's a financial advisor, they're back from holiday and and I can, you know, really have this conversation with him or her if needed. And same thing with my attorney partners. Um, this is a perfect time of year to give a grade. And again, if it's below a B, it's time to interview at least one to two others and consider making a change. Yeah, and hopefully you're not grading too harshly on availability for end of year for financial or uh, estate planning lawyers and like April and March for your CPA. That's right. Yeah, If you have a problem with their availability during those times of years, you don't understand their professions very well, unfortunately. Right, right. We want to be um, thoughtful about seasonality of the work, but also um, be really honest about uh, how it feels to be a client of, of this team. Yeah, and I think that's right. It's when, you know, when they're not in their busy time, which fi- financial advisors are, are not different. They have very busy seasons as well. End of year can be quite crazy for a lot of financial advisors. No doubt. Um, and, but it's like when you catch their attention, what are you getting from them? That's right. That's yeah. right. And, and I would say, you know, as you're thinking through this while you're at it, have your advisor review your risk allocation. If you're, if we're talking about a financial advisor, have him or her review your risk allocation. Make sure you're still comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're not clear on the cost value uh, analysis here, if you don't know what you're paying compared with what you feel the value is, ask. It's time to ask um, for very clear cut um, uh, invoices or billing details that show what you're paying for the advice you're getting. Yeah, I love that. And I think uh, 
I think that's a periodic review too. No doubt. It, which seems like that's what you're suggesting is maybe maybe on a on an annual basis you kind of reevaluate whether the people that you're teaming up with are bringing the value that you were expecting to get from them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just to add one more thought to that, it's once you've done this once, once you've graded your professionals once, you get to this point the following year and it's almost instinct. You already know you've been thinking about it all year. You know, working with Brent, he's an A. I don't even have to think about this anymore. No more work to be done. Um, or, you know, Melanie's team is always stellar. A plus. That's that's what we tend to strive for, at least. Obviously. Yes. Obviously. Obviously. I, I sometimes tongue in cheek and it usually quite seriously will tell uh, clients and, and even new clients. I say, if you ever wake up one day and you think that we're not actually adding value, then you need to fire us. Mm-hmm. That's what you need to do. When you reach that conclusion, we shouldn't be working together. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's great advice for for all of us, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Another recommendation that I make for working clients is to log into your HR system at work and your 401ks at the beginning of the year. This is important for a couple reasons. One, you want to set yourself up for financial success through the entirety of this year. And a big part of that are the decisions that you make as it relates to the deferrals that you've chosen and the benefits that you're taking advantage of at your employer. So I'll give you a couple examples. Employer plans like 401ks or 403bs, if you want to max out your plans, you start that now, okay? You could do a calculation and identify a lot of the the HR services websites will help you do this very easily. Your financial planner absolutely can help you do this, but you can identify exactly how much you should be deferring from every paycheck to fully max out your 401k by the end of the year. Um, A lot of our clients actually like to front load their 401k as well, meaning they max out their 401k by June, and then they have more money in their paychecks once that's maxed out through the rest of the year that they use for other things like vacations and holiday gifts. Um, If you earn bonuses in the beginning of the year rather than the end of the year, this is also a really important time to identify how much of that bonus you would like to defer into various benefits. So that's something uh, we always recommend. But that doesn't stop at your employer plans. It doesn't stop with 401ks. That also goes into HSAs, health savings accounts, FSAs, flexible savings accounts, or flexible spending accounts, if those benefits are available to you. And if you work for an organization that provides things like fitness reimbursements or other health benefits, this is a perfect time to make yourself super clear on what those benefits are and how you can maximize utilization of every single one of them. Most large organizations will have a a benefits team or at least an individual who can help you identify which of the benefits are available to you and how you can take full advantage of them. This is a perfect time to do that. Yeah. And and to your point, because most of those you know, working through the HR department are things that are being drawn out of your paycheck or your salary. You actually, you have to be a little bit proactive oftentimes. There aren't, I don't know that there are a lot of employers that force you into those programs. You kind of have to do it or you have to ask for it yourself. That's right. That's right. It's a really good point, Brent. And so we all have to advocate for ourselves. And really, that is the theme of this conversation, in my opinion, is being a good financial advocate for yourself and your family. Um, I would also say while you're at it, while you're there working on these uh, um, company benefits, I would 
recommend setting a quarterly reminder for yourself on your work calendar to go into any systems that require uh, documentation for reimbursement. An example of that would be a child care reimbursement. I have worked um, if for an organization in the past that allowed for something to the effect of $5,000 per year for child care reimbursement, but I had to provide receipts. And so each quarter I would go in, provide the receipts, and I would get a, a very nice lump sum of reimbursement in the following paycheck. So while you're at it in the HR system, also go onto your calendar, remind yourself each quarter to submit any necessary receipts. Love it. Yeah, those are great, great, uh, great tips. And definitely set those reminders because those yeah. are the sorts of things that we all get busy and we just forget. And it might be slightly uh, annoying and time consuming to do. And so our, our normal human brain will will sort of direct us somewhere else if we're not too interested in doing it. So you got to force yourself to do it sometimes. You do. You have to force yourself, uh, set reminders, create a habit of it. Absolutely. And, um, you know, a lot of these benefits are use it or lose it. If you've signed up for it and you don't use the funds that you've deferred from your own uh, account, especially in the case of a flex spending account, you lose that by the end of the year. So you want to do that throughout. Um, and I, I just think a really good illustration of this is, you know, so many of us make really good financial decisions or really specific financial decisions in really random places. Like, let's use gas, for example. On the right hand of the right hand side of the street, gas is, you know, three fifteen a gallon. On the left hand side of the street, it's three twelve a gallon. Almost everyone listening to this podcast is going to go to the left hand side of the street. They're going to save a couple cents on a gallon of gas. So why wouldn't we take the effort each quarter, 20 minutes maybe per quarter to submit receipts for what could amount to thousands of dollars of refunds or reimbursements? I just want to point that out because as much as it feels like a chore, it's so much more valuable than some of the things we do every single day. Absolutely. And following up on the reimbursements, you know, in our line of work, it's there's a lot of filing requirements for clients, things like that. And so you're submitting reimbursements. And so it's initially getting it done, right? It's actually scanning that receipt in and actually submitting it. But then I've learned to also keep a spreadsheet to make sure that reimbursement actually was processed, right? Because like you said, at the end of the year, it could be thousands and thousands of dollars. And so that's something you definitely want to keep an eye on. Yes, absolutely. And there are people out there, um, I'll just say it for the listeners, people like my husband who couldn't be bothered even for $1,000. It just seems so frivolous to him. He couldn't be bothered. Now, I, I will go find down to the penny of reimbursement, but he, he can't be bothered for $1,000. However, I framed it to the him this way and anybody else who who's like my dear, sweet husband, Nick. If you care about any organization or anybody who would benefit from an extra $1,000, whether that's an organiza- a charitable organization, somebody that you care about, a loved one, go to that effort for them. Go to that effort, receive the reimbursement or whatever the benefit is, and pay it forward. If you, if you don't want to do it for you, do it for them. And that really can change the mindset around the chore that it has become. Yeah, that's a really good uh, reframing of that. I think there's there's a lot of value, and you kind of started out by by uh, introducing the firm as a firm with clients who don't realize they're as wealthy as they are, and um, you know, there's a lot of just sort of changing people's perspectives on circumstances, be they big picture circumstances like somebody's net worth to what is the meaning of the dollar of reimbursement that you could get either to yourself or to somebody 
or some organization that you care about. I think that's really, really powerful. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that go, that goes to anything financially related. I mean, setting up a really intelligent and creative estate plan, for example, that can be really valuable in the long term for others. Same thing goes with a financial plan. Smart financial planning means more that you can do, more than you, more that you can give, um, and and tax management as well. So I would uh, I would I would position it that way. That if it's not of so much value to you, do the things that could be of value to others. And I do have one more recommendation for uh, starting the year off right, and this is for our retired listeners. Um, a lot of our retired clients are going to review and calculate their required minimum distribution every year. If you're over the age of 72, this is something you're, you're well aware of. And um, it's common to wait to the end of the year to take care of this chore slash task. You have to do the calculation. You have to withdraw the assets. Sometimes you have to sell something to raise the funds. And you have to calculate the taxes and the withholding, et cetera. Um, and so we tend to wait and push this off to the end of the year for a couple different reasons and some of its economic benefit. But if you have any intention to turn your required minimum distribution into a qualified charitable distribution, why, why wait? I recommend considering to do it now. Now, talk with your financial advisor and your planners, all of your financial professionals to ensure that this recommendation fits within the bigger picture. But I always think that Charities need our money now more than they need it later, always more now. Um, so why not make uh, a qualified charitable distribution early in the year when you've got your RMD calculated already? While you're at it, talk to your state planning attorney about the long-term goals for giving so that you can do it in the most effective way. Yeah, I like that. Of course, speaking uh, selfishly for estate planning lawyers, I know a lot of estate planning lawyers are feel that way that people make charitable, very relatively small charitable contributions throughout the year, but then it doesn't necessarily knit nicely into a broader charitable plan. Whereas mm -hmm. if, if you give it a little bit of forethought, you can actually come up with a quite meaningful charitable giving plan that includes the annual giving and, um, qualified charitable contribution uh, giving as well and any, any other kind of giving. But if you sort of knit, knit the whole picture together, you can all of a sudden put together a very powerful charitable planning vehicle, but you have to do it. And it doesn't just happen overnight on its own. That's right. That's right. And for anyone listening who doesn't know the detail of a, a required minimum distribution, it's calculated based on a December 31st value of your accounts. So starting on January 1st, we can do the math. It's very straightforward. Um, by the way, those tables have changed, so we have to uh, do a different calculation in 22 than we have in the past, which, again, makes it all the more valuable to speak with a professional as you're making these plans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. Wow, a reference to the IRS uh, RMD tables mm -hmm. changing because of new census data is not something I was expecting, but I, I'm really pleased to hear that. We like to keep it really nerdy here, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> You're in good company. <laughs> uh, well, Melanie, we really appreciate this. These are such good nuggets and uh, words of wisdom for anybody who's trying to get their year off to a, a bang financially. Lots of good due diligence that people can do, and it sounds like a lot of things that people can do now that will be meaningful for them throughout the year and beyond. I um, am happy to have shared these little nuggets with you, and uh, there's a lot more where that came from 
Um, anybody can visit us at reframewealth.com to learn more. Yeah, excellent. If if somebody wants to reach out to you specifically, is there a preferred way for them to do that? Yes, they can contact me directly through our website at reframewealth.com. Very simple. Okay, excellent. Well, we appreciate you, uh, Melanie. Of course, we'll include all of your contact information in the show notes, so anybody looking for Melanie can look there. Uh, but we can't uh, thank you enough for lending your time and talent and uh, enjoying this time with us. Oh, it's been such a pleasure, Brent and Rachel. Thank you for doing this wonderful podcast. I know it's giving a lot of people a lot of support and insight, and I'm just proud to have been part of it. Thank you. Hey, listeners. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Rachel and I both really appreciate it. We've really enjoyed doing the podcast. We're trying to do our best work and bring you valuable and useful information, and I hope you feel the same way. And if so, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, uh, subscribe to our blog if you want to follow us and see the sort of things that we write about, and also follow us on social media, at Wealth and Law, basically everywhere that social media is. Thanks so much.